Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. We're wrapping up 2022, and one thing I've given myself permission to do is no New Year's resolutions. And it's not something, I mean, I'm not a New Year's resolution person. I haven't done it, gosh, I don't even know, maybe in decades. Because when I was younger, I would make a resolution and all the hype and in the adrenaline, and I didn't have the skill set of how to honor commitments to myself. So I don't have New Year's resolutions. Maybe you do and that works for you and supports you. I don't. And I can't believe we're closing out 2022 and moving into 2023. I am definitely middle-aged and I resonate so much more of what my parents used to say of how fast life goes. I remember it's like 2008 when the economy was tanking with the whole mortgage banking scandals. And I remember Susie Orman told Oprah that we were going to get out of the recession in 2015. And I thought 2015, that is a long time away. (laughs) So here I'm thinking about something I saw in 2008 And we are moving, we are stepping into 2023, which will be eight years after the thing that I thought was a long time away. So it is fascinating. It reminds me to ask myself the question that I so often like to ask here. And I ask myself is, what do I want to do with this one precious life? What do I want to do? What do I want to experience? How do I want to be? And so for me, as I shared last week, my way of being is I want to have even more equanimity. And I'm going to remind you what that is. It's mental calmness, composure, and an evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. One of the things that I've learned about myself and realized was I need space. I need space to be able to handle the difficult situations I need space so that I can show up with mental calmness. And it's so fascinating because when I walk into a coaching session with a client and there can be a lot at stake for my clients, there can be a lot of stressors, right? I know them, I partner with them, and I also don't know what I'm walking into for that session because while they may have told me this is what they want coaching on, often actually, what happens they're like, yes, I know I emailed you this, This is what I want to focus on. Okay, let's go. I have mental calmness and composure and can stay grounded because I have the space and I have the space in that time with them to be grounded. So I've learned that for me to have equanimity is for me to have space so that I can have the mental composure so that I can deal with the difficult situations right? It's not like my clients come and there's no difficult situations and we're like, oh my gosh, this is great. We're badasses. This is so fun. Like there's a lot of heavy work that we do together. So true equanimity is a balanced engagement with all aspects of life. It's not a withdrawal. I have attention. I have awareness. I lean in. 
to the hard stuff, right? And it's the opening to the whole of life with composure and ease of mind, accepting the beautiful and terrifying nature of all things. And so that is me walking into 2023 is really to develop this even more. I really use compassion and empathy and learned how to have that skill set more versus survival or power over or use my strength and grit to make things happen versus the equanimity of allowing for things. Okay, so that's the New Year's Eve thing. But I want to talk as we go back and we're going to be re-entering into the workplace for those of you that have had some time off is the cost of verbal vomiting at work. So I want to read you something that I wrote a while back. It's on the website and we'll post the link, but it's verbal vomit, right? So a long time ago, I came up with this concept for my clients and for myself and it's verbal vomit. This was great for those of us who didn't use our voice, right? Like I think about the old me who went years keeping my thoughts inside of me because I didn't know. I was shy. I think I had learned that this lesson that there's something wrong with me. I was poor. I had brown heritage and skin that could kind of hide it in the whiteness of me. You know, I lived on the wrong side of the tracks, but so I just didn't know how to use my voice. But the old me kept these thoughts inside of me and I buried it so far deep down. I didn't know what I even thought. I didn't know my opinions. I was interested, more interested in finding out other people's opinions because they had it right. Because, you know, I was a loser from loser street. I didn't speak because I was afraid others wouldn't like me if they knew the real me. And to get to know what I believed and hear my opinions I created the strategy of verbal vomiting. This is where I gave myself permission to be a verbal processor. And so I can then let out the words, right? Without being politically correct, without making any sense, without a solution, the intent was to let it out. I became really good at this. And with any good thing, my friend, there is always a dark side. While I still do believe it's valuable to verbal vomit, there's a boundary to the strategy. One is you must use a container. Think about it. If you throw up, you don't throw up anywhere. More often, you'll try to make it a toilet, a bowl, a sink, etc. When you verbally vomit, use a container. This could be defined by an amount of time. Say five to 10 minutes is usually sufficient. 20 minutes max. Sometimes my clients want to spend their entire hour verbally vomiting. And the problem with that is that then there isn't time to focus on solving the problem. Yes, I know it's important to get it out, but it's also important because what we tend to do is repeat the same stories over and over. We're really good story fondlers. So yes, we want to get it out, but then use your time and energy to create solutions. Verbal vomiting is a great strategy to process what's inside of you. Just don't let it take over your focus. Let it out. Then move forward into creating the results that you want. So I wrote that and I've ad-libbed as I was reading it to you, new things, right? Because I wrote this a long time ago based on a concept a long time ago. I think verbal vomit is really, really a good skill set. It's a good practice to have, especially if you're not aware and you've pushed things down. And most of us have been in survival and we push things down 
we've learned not to speak. And so we push it down. So verbal vomiting is important. But with anything, something that can be a valuable practice can also have a huge cost. There's a downside. So the cost of verbal vomiting is, especially at work, is, and I see this because I'm working with clients, they may come to me and get their verbal vomiting done, but they become the containers for so many others. So there's a cost of verbal vomiting. It takes up a lot of space at work. It drains the energy in the room. It sidetracks us on the focus of work. And here's something else. It can break trust because when you're verbally vomiting, all the stuff is coming out, right? The messiness of you, maybe your judgments, what you're thinking, the scary stories that are in your brain. You're unpacking a whole bunch of shit and you're verbally vomiting in the workplace. And you may be saying stuff that it may not really be the issue or what you really believe, but you need to get it out to then get to the issue, right? You may have all these judgments. And so then it breaks trust in your environment, right? So I'm not saying about being inauthentic, but when we verbal vomit, we must have containers. It's like that bowl that I talked about. You need to have that bowl, but who has earned the right to hear the story of your verbal vomit. Who is going to hold that space of not judgment, not using it and to weaponize against you in the workplace? So there's a huge cost. There's a cost of the person that's holding the verbal vomit and there can be a cost to the workplace itself. There's a lot of cost. So if you are the verbal vomiter, my invitation for you is start with being aware of what you're doing. Notice that you may be verbally vomiting or verbally dumping on others in your workplace. And when you notice this, notice without judgment, right? Notice. And it's really important that we, you know, Brene Brown has a profound quote where a saying, it's a quote that I love to use is own your story and love yourself. It's the bravest thing you can do, right? So if you are a verbal vomiter, be aware and own your story without judgment. And then notice, how do you feel afterwards? My hunch is you probably feel much better, right? You've gotten it out. It's like when you throw up, you know, it's never fun to throw up, but then afterwards, it's like that pain you had in your tummy feels better. So you may feel better. You may feel a bit vulnerable because you realize like, oh, I just said a whole bunch of stuff and I don't even maybe remember what I said or it wasn't the best of me that said it. So there may be some vulnerability, right? It's kind of like throwing up. It feels better, but you're also kind of wiped out laying on the floor afterwards because you're also exhausted. Notice the impact your verbal vomit has on others. Are they kind of like, hmm, because remember that trust breaking that can happen? They may think, oh, you're not safe. If you're saying this about them, what do you say about me when I'm not in the room? And this is why there's a cost of verbal vomiting at the workplace, right? There is a cost. Notice the impact of your verbal vomit to the workplace. You know, what's the energy that you bring? How does it ripple through the day? What's it like afterwards? Does it take up time? Does it distract you and you or others? And then now you guys are working later and then you're not going home. And then spouses or kids are really disappointed because 
you didn't make it to dinner or the soccer game or this, you know, the swim practice, or you didn't drive the kids to where they needed to go. And the excuse is, well, we got really busy, but was it because you got really busy or because you took time to verbal vomit? And I'm a really good verbal vomiter. And before I had the skill set, and I remember thinking my old place when I was at the college, I would go from person to person to person in different departments or different parts on campus to verbally vomit about all the problems in the department and the toxicity. And I was just verbally vomiting, right? But I wasn't doing my work. I wasn't distracting. I was taking up other people's time and space. So I share this with you, not that like, oh, I've not done this and I am up on this pedestal. Like I have walked through all of this, right? And then I realized, oh, there's actually a better way that's less costly to myself and to others and I can do better work, right? So there is a cost and there are solutions. So if you're a verbal vomiter, be aware of what you're doing. Notice how you feel afterwards. Notice the impact of verbal vomit to others. I've talked a lot about on the show being responsible for the energy you bring. And next week, I'm going to talk about teams and support. So stay tuned for that episode. But when I'm saying, you know, that you may feel better, you may feel better but at what cost, right? So all we're doing right now is if you are a verbal vomiter in the workplace, notice, right? Notice, look at what's working and what may not be working. And next week I'll talk about the support you can have so that you can verbal vomit, but without the cost of the workplace and the broken trust. Now, for those of you who are on the receiving end of verbal vomiters, we probably do both, right? My question for you is, if you're on the receiving end, do you have a container for them to vomit in, right? Or is it (laughs) you just walking around or it just lands all over you? I mean, this is a constant problem, especially with returning back to work, right? Is that people can have access to you and they walk into your office or maybe you're in a cubicle and they just vomit, right? They just poof because there's so much stuff going on inside of them. Like we're all going, life is challenging. Life is hard, right? We're all going through this life that has beautiful things and it has challenges, right? And so it can land all over us. Are you prepared for it? Do you have the container? What does the container look like, right? If you're on the receiving end, notice, does the vomitor go from you then to the next person, then to the next person? Just like I did, right? They didn't, people didn't know because I was on campus and my office was in the pool and I would go to my friend over in facilities. Then I had another friend over here. Then I had another friend over here. Then I had a friend that lived in town and we, he and I would get together and we just verbal vomit, right? So it's constantly going around and around, but not, not even creating that space of awareness. It was just, let me complain. So if you have a verbal vomiter who goes from person to person and you notice this pattern, right, maybe you could remove yourself from this production line. That could be an option. Knowing that, hey, they have other people. You don't have to be on the receiving end and that's okay. Especially for all of us who are like over-responsible thinking, oh, we need to be a good person. We need to care about people. This is my responsibility, right? Really question that. The other thing is to notice the impact to others. That way you can start to maybe create an awareness of how it's impacting you. Often we're so blind to what's going on with us, but we can see it with somebody else. So look for that. 
Notice what is the impact. Look for it. Is there an impact? Is there not? And then give yourself permission that you don't always have to hold the bowl. You don't always have to hold the container. Just because you can doesn't mean you're supposed to. And give yourself permission that you don't really have to take it all in. They can tell you all the stuff, but you don't have to like be emotionally hooked with what they're going through. I had a client say to me this week, her son lost his job. It was his first professional job, you know, out of college and he lost, he got laid off. She said to me, she goes, I don't need to worry because he's not worried. I'm like, wait a second. So if he does get worried, does he actually need you to worry? When you're worried, what do you need? Usually we need somebody to believe in us, to have confidence in us, never false, right? For when we're in our struggle, it's that saying of struggling, stand with me for I'm not. I believe it's by Javiz, right? Like we, we don't need to get into that worry. So the thing is for you is you don't have to take in all of their emotions. You don't have to be on that emotional roller coaster, right? You can, I often use that as a metaphor, like with my clients of you can, it's like walking your kids up to the roller coaster. And I remember I had to do this. It was so hard. My daughter was nine and my younger one was seven, but my younger one didn't want to go on roller coasters at Disneyland. Not that they're big roller coasters, but she didn't want to. And so I had to make a decision. Do I go on the roller coaster with my nine-year-old and leave my seven-year-old by herself? Or do I stay with my seven-year-old and strap my nine-year-old, right? My nine-year-old really loved roller coasters and she would go on it. I didn't have to go on that ride with her. And at this point in my life, I really don't like roller coasters. But you can walk up your kid to the, to the gate. They can get on, be strapped, and you can stay there. You don't have to be on that emotional roller coaster. So whether it's your child, it's a colleague, it's an employee, you don't have to be on their emotional roller coaster. And in the ideal world, right, we'll pull out the book and be like, oh, you just need to do a better job of establishing boundaries. You need to shut your door, right? Like Adam Grant is fantastic at this. Tuesdays and Thursdays, winter semester, he writes, his door is shut. He doesn't answer emails. He's in the writing. He's got really good boundaries his colleagues will email him and say, I can see in your office. Why aren't you responding? And partly because of his position, he's at Wharton. He's prolific, right? He's done all this great work. He's able to have this. You may not, right? Like that's the ideal version for us. But then you may not have the belief in you that you are deserving of that boundary of not taking it on. You may not have the ability because maybe you don't have a closed office and you're right there and people don't know how to self-regulate or they don't understand that you may not be available, right? And they're lacking self-awareness. So you may not. So with this one client, what are the boundaries as people verbally vomit? And she's totally tapped out of her capacity to be able to hold this for people. What it finally came down to is it's what we would call a small step, right? And small steps never disregard a small step. Small steps lead to big changes. I've watched this happen time and time again. I've walked clients through this time and time again. We discount it because it's not that big, hairy, audacious goals, but small steps, my friend, it's the secret sauce. So what we came up with was instead of this you know, big boundary, the initial small step was to look at her colleague, to listen, to nod, make her tea, and then walk back into her office and not take it on, not think that it was her responsibility to fix it, right? It's a small step. She listened, but it kind of went in and it went out, right? And that was satisfactory. 
for him, for her to do that. And that's her small step. And it's huge because it's about learning a new skill set and not getting emotionally hooked or taking it in. And that, my friend, is actual boundary forming. It's the idea of questioning, is this my problem to solve, right? And reminding yourself, this is not my problem to solve, or this is not my problem to take on. And while at the same time, I can't have a boundary of, I will not be here for your verbal vomit, right? That's the constraint that is currently going on. And we're going to work on that. And partly because the person may not have the awareness of the invisible cost of their actions. And then they would walk away and pout and become more resentful and bring in even more difficult energy into the space. This is an example of taking care of yourself with someone who is demanding from you as you work on building that fence that I like to talk about as a boundary. You maybe, you know, you don't have it very high up yet and they're not quite used to it. But over time, we can get to that higher level boundary, like a Adam Grant, where like, okay, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm blocked out. Or maybe it's, you know, Tuesday mornings from eight to noon, you get some deep work done, right? And you, and your teacher colleagues this. So today's show is about cultivating the awareness of the cost of verbal vomiting. Instead of thinking that we are being nice or supportive in the workplace to those who can't self-regulate, don't know how to self-regulate, aren't even aware of what they're doing, right? And can't do their own processing. There's an invisible cost to the emotional labor that's done by certain people in the work environment when they hold on to everybody's unhappiness and emotions or problems. And there's a cost to the time it takes and the lack of focus of the workday. There's a cost to distractions. And there's a cost to broken trust in the workplace environment. It's not going to feel safe. So yes, boundaries are important. And yes, we teach people how to treat us. And there's cultural programming that certain people are supposed to be there for us no matter what, if they really care, right? If they really have my back. That, my friend, is unreasonable and magical thinking. To start with creating a small boundary to take care of you around those verbal vomiters. And again, maybe it's nodding your head as you make your tea and then getting back to your office for a call or appointment you have scheduled. And yes, that's a small step that does lead to big changes. And maybe you don't have a call or appointment you have scheduled. You have work scheduled with yourself. So you do have an appointment that is scheduled. We so discount and diminish our appointments with ourselves, but then hold those appointments with others. And your appointment with yourself is very, very important because it allows you to get your work done and it allows you to meet the deadlines of your your team, your company. And it allows you also to hold the responsibilities that you may have at home. And maybe if you're single, that responsibility is you taking care of you so that you can enjoy this one precious life, right? Or so that you have the energy to move through and not want to just quit or have slow burning embers inside of you. The other option, you know, I talked about creating a small boundary. The other option is to not take it on, not try to fix the person's situation, you know, acknowledge it with, I'm sorry you're going through this, or I can hear that this is really hard and then let it go and walk away. Creating the awareness of verbal vomiting and starting with one small step 
and practicing it so that you can reduce the cost to you is the key. I'm going to leave with this final story. When I was in grad school, I had this professor who was actually an administrator at Cal Berkeley. And he said this, this is probably the most valuable thing of my master's degree. Well, it's one of the most valuable things, but I remember he's because everybody always wanted to come to his office and talk. Like, do you have a minute? Do you have five minutes? Right. I need to think something through. I need to do this. People always needed something from him. And so when they would come in, he would say, oh, I have 30 minutes and then I've got my next appointment. Again, he didn't need to go into whether it was an appointment with himself. I came up with that concept, but he would tell them he would build a container as they're walking in of how much space he could give them. And that was so fascinating. And yes, it takes courage and it takes clarity and you're going to stumble through it at first, but to let people know what your capacity is. And then remember, it's going to be on you to continue to hold it. Because in this survival world where we're trying to take or things aren't enough, people always try to move past your boundaries. So it's our job, our responsibility to hold it. So maybe you say, hey, I have five minutes but then make sure that you honor that time and honor that commitment to yourself because then that's going to be a small step in teaching people how to treat you. All right, my friend, next week, I'm going to talk about more about support. Today was about the cost of verbal vomiting and the things you can do. I'm smiling big for you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. I'm smiling big for you. She is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so.